and then um, I was just so near death basically when I started and then with a multi I had to combine it all with a multidisciplinary approach which was um, going through integrative medicine changing my diet doing biofeedback and and combined with about three different kinds of physical therapy so um in in that way I was just able to rebuild my entire body Welcome back to Gramps Place, where my guests and I discuss all things of public interest and anything else that might need a little changing in the good old USA. From ending the drug war and freeing those wrongfully imprisoned for crimes that have no victim, to making government more like what our forefathers intended of we the people again. I talk with doctors, scientists, politicians, and more, so you can make your own decisions on important issues in the USA. My guest tonight is someone who reached out to my page, Something Has to Change, and now on Facebook. If you don't already know, I started this advocacy page shortly after my son passed away in 2016. Her name is Gina Salmonen, and she was diagnosed with adult-onset fasciocapular humeral muscular dystrophy. After many years of surgeries, physical therapies, and multiple pharmaceuticals, she decided to give cannabis a try along with diet and more and she has found that she is regaining her life. Let's meet Gina and hear her encouraging story. Hello, Gina, and welcome to Gramps Place. Thank you. been looking forward to hearing your story. Uh, tell us, tell our audience a little bit about who you are and uh, why you wanted to talk to us tonight. Hi, my name is Gina. Um, I have had incredible luck with treating fasciocapulohumeral muscular dystrophy with medical cannabis combined with a multidisciplinary approach. Okay. Back up and explain to us what fasciocapulohumeral muscular dystrophy. Did I say that right? You you did. Yes. Tell us tell us a little about that. What it is and how how your diagnosis came about. How old you were. Or all that kind of good stuff. Okay. Um, fasciocapulohumeral muscular dystrophy is a neuromuscular disorder. Um, it is autosomal dominant in its genetic transmission. Okay. Um, and it is characterized by a DUX4 genetic expression. Um, DUX4 is an enzyme that is um, essential for fetal development, but in gestation, it is supposed to shut off at a certain point. And when it is expressed um, through full term and after birth, um, FSHD is the result. Okay. And there is childhood 
FSHD and there is adult onset FSHD. I have adult onset FSHD. Um, my smile began to change around age 16 years old. And then around 17 to 18, I developed scapular winging. That okay. was that was diagnosed at Mayo Clinic and and sleep disorder. And those are two telltale signs of FSHD. Um, okay. Scapular winging only really happens for a muscular dystrophy type in scapular in FSHD and so in what, what dystrophy situations. Okay, what what exactly is scapular winging? Explain that so our audience will understand a little better. Um, scapular winging is when um, the muscles around the shoulder blade are weakened and the muscle cells are dying inside or underneath the shoulder blade. And so they're um, with that weakness and Ducks for expression, the it causes the shoulder blades to wing out to skit um to stick out from the back. Okay. And I, I thought that's what it was, but I just wasn't hundred percent sure. So I developed that around age eighteen, seventeen or eighteen. Mm-hmm. But I was not diagnosed yet with FSHD. Um, okay. And so then in 2003 and 2005, that was when scapular winging, or in 2002, actually, um, scapular winging really began to affect my life. Then in 2003 and 2005, I had superior pole scapular excisions with reattachment of levitus serratus and levator scapulae muscles at University of Iowa. They were kind of a good attempt to correct the winging but they didn't really work and Mm. around and around that time is when I developed chronic intractable pain associated with FSHD and then I was not diagnosed with FSHD officially until 2012 Um, FSHD is extremely hard to diagnose I, there is nobody else diagnosed in my family, um, so I'm first diagnosed. I still don't know exactly where it came from. I am pretty sure it came from my mother, but I don't really know. So does it, like, skip generations or sometimes? or? Um, usually, usually when a parent gives birth to a child that when there's FSHD, one out of two children will have it. Okay. So it's not every every. And child. and also, um, there are spontaneous mutations. Mm. Okay. So what uh, what are some of the typical treatments for FSHD? There is well, there is no known cure. Um, mm-hmm. Typical treatments are a lot of physical therapy. Um, I had in 2014 and 2015, after I was diagnosed, I had bilateral scapulothoracic fusions with Mm. Dr. Anthony Romeo at Chicago Rush. Okay. Uh, He um, did a lot to 
um, pioneer this um, procedure. He has only done about 100 of them since the late 1990s. Um, they go in and they t use the bone marrow, the patient's own bone marrow, and then they um, go underneath the shoulder blade and they take out the dead muscle that's underneath and they replace it with the bone marrow and then set the patient in a brace. And then the patient has to rebuild from there. Mm. And, and also they um, fuse the ribs to um, the shoulder blade so that the patient can raise the arm. Mm. So it's, it's an extremely debilitate, debilitating condition then. It is, yes. Yeah. Um, for after I was diagnosed, I was put in ankle foot orthotic braces and I wore those for five years from 2012 to 2017. Um, did they help at all? I've had like quite marked deformities and, and a lot of, you know, tons of muscle atrophy, um, before cannabis. So tell us how how you came to discover cannabis for treatment. And then... um, after I had my second scapular thoracic fusion in 2015, that was July 2015, and then November 2015, I joined the Minnesota Medical Cannabis Program. Okay. Our medical cannabis program became active in two in July 2015, and. At that time, I was in no shape to really make any any new decisions. But by November, um, I was weak, deep in chronic pain, on way too much pain medication. Mm. My neurologist, and he was also my prescribing pain medication doctor at the time, he was going to basically made me stop myofascial release therapy, which was the only therapy um, that I was even able to do at the time. And it was the only thing that ever actually helped, but there was nothing left for them to really work on. Mm -hmm. So he was just going to keep upping my pain medication mm -hmm. and that, and that would be it. And I could not accept that. Yeah, wanted off my meds, those medications for a long time. And I wanted to see the benefits of scapulothoracic fusion and I didn't want to die. Yeah. Too often that's the go-to is just because it's the easiest thing. It's the easiest answer for them. You know, they don't have to think they could just write a prescription and say, okay, there you go. Oh, my, well, my doctor really thought, you know, he put thought into everything he did to relieve my pain, even though it was pharmaceutical-based pain management. Sure. He made sure that my medications were rotated all the time so that I wouldn't become addicted. Um, yeah. It just, it just, be, all that medication just became ineffective for me. Yeah. Or maybe it, ne or maybe it never worked. No. Yeah, that's that's the sad fact with so many uh, people that get on that cycle. You know, uh, eventually it all pretty much stops working. Yeah. You know, I've I've been on that cycle myself. I have severe neuropathy in my my legs and feet, 
uh, from a blood disorder that I have. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's basically the precursor to uh, bone marrow cancer. And so uh, I I know that that roller coaster ride all too well. Uh, So you uh, reached out to me and and my page on Facebook Mm -hmm. because you uh, I take it you are doing some some as much work as you possibly can to bring about awareness, both about this condition as well as how you're using cannabis, which I want you to, of course, tell us the various ways you're using it and and methods, uh, means of ingestion, and whether it's topicals, et cetera. Uh, Give us all that lowdown, but but, uh, also tell us about what you're doing to to bring about awareness. Um, To bring about awareness, that has not gone very as well as I hoped in the past few years. in the beginning, I joined um, our activist groups, Minnesota Normal and Legal Marijuana Now here, you know, to try and raise awareness. And then the Minnesota Medical Cannabis Program, one of the major reasons it was enacted was because um, patients wanted a way to get off pain medications and treat and treat some pretty serious conditions um, when they don't have, didn't really have any other options. Sure. With the groups of Minnesota Normal and Legal Marijuana now, there was, there used to be some focus on research, but especially in 2017 and 2018, but um, then it just kind of all became racially focused here. And so it just Yeah. That's that's become the the normal narrative in a lot of places I've noticed. Uh I don't know if they think that's gonna get them uh more success or not. I don't know. I don't but... pardon this short break for a word from our sponsors. Hey y'all. Are you enjoying the guests and subjects Gramps is bringing you each week? Did you know Gramps does this all on his own? No production team and no producers. Just Gramps. Please consider making a monthly contribution to help Gramps continue to do what he does in an effort to educate, agitate, and motivate millions to get involved. It is as easy as clicking on the link in the show description that says, Support this podcast. It can be as little as 99 cents per month. As always, Gramps thanks you for listening and for your support. Welcome back to Gramps Place. The podcast where Gramps and his guests talk about all things of public interest. So what what type of ways are you using cannabis as a treatment? Um, I The Minnesota Medical Cannabis Program is kind of limited. Um, we only have two dispensary companies. Um, one is called Green Goods. Okay. And they are Vario Health cannabis products out of New York. Um, I don't like them very much at all. So our other dispensary is Leafline Labs. And they are, with the limits of our program, the products that they do provide are pretty great. 
Um, so what I used from them is their extra strength tangerine suspension. Mm -hmm. um, it is made of MCT oil and cannabis oil with full terpene profiles. So I take about, uh, I take one milliliter, which is equivalent to 20 milligrams of THC three times a day. That is like long acting relief. It lasts about, I don't know, eight to 12 hours. Okay. And then, and then for kind of on the go dosing quick relief, I use their vape oil um, cartridges. Okay. Um. And, and then also they did come out with lozenges this year, um, five milligram THC lozenges. And those actually work sometimes better than the vape because it's really slow release. And then mm -hmm. as the lozenge dissolves, I can just feel my shoulders kind of drop down back into place. What uh, what are what are the limitations of the the Minnesota program? Um, cost and access. Our per, our program is extremely expensive. Yeah. It is. Um, it is not really affordable. And then our access. It, you can only really access the program if you're close to the Twin Cities or in the Twin really? Cities area. Yeah, that's kind of like here in Texas. Uh, we only have two two licensed dispensaries as well here in Texas. The state is as big as Texas. And mm -hmm. uh, and then the, the, the other restriction we have is uh, that on top of they have a 1% THC maximum by dry weight, which... They still can produce 10 and 20 milligram gummies, but um, hmm. they have to deliver or you have to meet them at designated pickup locations because they can only store medication at one location per license, hmm. which is ridiculous. So people way out in El Paso are pretty much screwed because they're not going to pay for a delivery all the way out to El Paso hmm. and there's no pickup location. And if there was, they wouldn't, you know, most pickup locations are a once a week thing. You know, it's kind of nuts. So um, <clears throat> what other activism have you tried to do? Have you reached out to any lawmakers or, or anything like that? I have, re I have done things to reach out to our lawmakers, but there is such a mixed view on cannabis in the state of Minnesota. Sure. It's... It's um it's been really tough to you know to really get them to listen. Yeah, it's that's pretty much the same way it is here too. And it and it's kind of sad because we have the University of Minnesota, which is a major research and diagnostic hub of neuromuscular diseases, and we have a medical cannabis program, but we can't you know, make that handshake or bridge that gap to, to research it. Yeah, there's still so many roadblocks when it comes to research, which they're starting to open those doors. Even uh, I was telling somebody uh, a couple of weeks ago, I read an article about where the DEA was even saying themselves, look, folks, we've got to allow you know, th this research to take place to either, if, if nothing else, 
to debunk all these claims. Mm -hmm. You know, if we're going to hold our ground, we've got to have the ammunition to do so. And so that's going to help that, 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 that mentality. But uh, I don't know why the federal government just doesn't, you know, pardon the phrase, but uh, shit or get off the pot. You know, uh, we've had Democratic bills now for several years floating around mm -hmm. in the both chambers. And, and now there's most recently a Republican written and authored bill entered. Uh, it's obviously a nonpartisan issue. So why can't we get it done, folks? I don't know. It's, it's mind boggling to me, uh, A, how we got here, uh, B, how we've remained here for as long as we have. I mean, California legalized medical cannabis in 1996 or 97, uh, you know, and we're still here in in the end of 2021, having the same conversation at the federal level and in multiple states as well. It's it's mind boggling. It it has gone beyond ridiculous, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, please tell our listeners where they can find more information, or where they can maybe get involved if they want to. Are there some organizations where people can donate or volunteer or or anything like that? Um, for cannabis and neuromuscular disorders, there really isn't. Um, I'm kind of the only one who's done everything that I've done with cannabis and FSHD because um, neuromuscular diseases are the very least researched and sure. least understood set of disorders. And then um, I was just so near death, basically, when... I started and then with a multi, I had to combine it all with a multidisciplinary approach, which was um, going through integrative medicine, changing my diet, doing biofeedback and, and combined with about three different kinds of physical therapy. So, um, and, and that way I was just able to rebuild my entire body. I was able to get out of leg braces in 2017. And then about 2018, I went into occupational therapy for um, my upper body and to really strengthen and recover from fusion. Mm. And 2019 was my last phase of physical therapy where they combined uh, physical therapy and biofeedback to work out all of my old remaining movement compensations so and there is there is actually a um a or you can reach out to legal marijuana now okay and they just got major party status oh really yes how is that um that happened in, in 2018 um we we petitioned a lot, and um, we got the signatures that we needed, and and just ended up with major party status that year. Cool. Um, because um, it just took a while because our program was enacted in 2015, and then we had been, you know, fighting and activism for a while and then in 2018 
a lot did come together to get major party status for legal marijuana now. So that that helps with lobbying and all of that, right? It does. It does. Yes. So maybe maybe they'll be able to get some more expansions opened up and make y'all have a, a better, more accessible program. I hope we'll, so. We'll keep our fingers crossed. I hope so. So there's no foundation or, or anything for for FSHD where people can can donate money for toward research or nothing, huh? And the the research foundations are pharmaceutical based. Um, it um when you donate any money for muscular dystrophy, yeah. of muscular dystrophy, um, it is all just to go to pharmaceutical research. Um, I'm going to do a little digging into FSHD around the world with some of these other uh, universities where I've seen a lot of cannabis research and see if I don't dig something up. Uh, if I do, I'll be sure and share it with you. Okay. Um, that, that's something that's you've piqued my interest now uh, that, 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 you know, it's tragic what people go through in some of these, these uh, scenarios. Uh, just listening to you talk about some of the surgeries you've had and stuff is you're you're pretty tough to be where you are. I can say that uh, a lot of people would have given up. I couldn't give up. Um, there was times that I wanted to, but but that but there is something greater in me that said, oh, we, you know, keep going and don't give up, and so I didn't. Yeah. So you just uh, when they passed or started the medical cannabis program, you just decided to try it because yes. you thought it might work all on your own. Nobody told you anything or. No, um, I just knew that um, I was absolutely fed up with suffering. Um, I was fed up with pain medication, taking any pain medications. Mm -hmm. I was on way too much. No matter what I was on or what dose, I was always in the ER for pain control anyway. And being on all that pain medication um, probably was the, was the reason that I had a pretty serious complication with my second scapular thoracic fusion just being on them probably like weakened me and I got a hemonumothorax because of it and so um and just after after all that when I joined the program after trying everything it was the first time in my life, even though I was still on all the pain medication, it was the first time that I didn't have any pain. Okay. And then about two months after that is just when I began to taper. And then once I was mostly through tapering, I began to get into pool therapy just to get my body moving again. Yeah, yeah. So how long did it take you to taper completely off of the, the pharmaceuticals? 18 months. Okay. That seems like a long time, but when you've been on them a long time, that's not really that long. Um, no, I just, my doctor, um, my doctor just gave me a schedule 
So he worked with you with it? As much as he could. There, um, there is no, there are no real guidelines for when patients just opt out of opioid therapy. Yeah. So, um, and a lot Which of is nuts. don't know what, don't know what to do. So, um, a lot of it back then was just, um, tapering and looking to, um, dispensary posts on Facebook about what they had to say about cannabis and tapering. Yeah. Isn't, it, isn't that crazy in this day yeah. and age with technology and the world where we are that, that we have to guess at what's probably the most beneficial plant known to man. We have to guess how to use it still because of 80 some odd years of stupidity. Yes. It's just mind-boggling. Well, I really appreciate you reaching out to me. Um, feel free to send me anything else that you want me to share on the page, as long as I'm, it's um, something that, you know, uh, doesn't go against Facebook standards. I have no problem sharing things. So, But I, I really do want to thank you for coming on and telling your story. I know it's difficult, uh, probably, for you. To, I to tell. Absolutely. Uh, and keep in touch and, and let me know how your progress is going. I will. All right. Thank you very much. And thank you. And you have a good evening. Gramps Plays, where Gramps and his guests discuss all things of public interest and anything else that might need a little changing here in the good old USA. From ending the drug war and freeing those wrongfully imprisoned for crimes that have no victims, to making government more like what our forefathers intended of we the people again. Gramps talks with doctors, scientists, politicians, and more, so you can make your own decisions on important issues in the USA. Be sure to subscribe where you get your podcasts or visit GrampsPlace.net today. And as always, thank you for listening to Gramps Place.